Get Heard with Ian Roth podcast, where it is our mission to enable leaders to effectively engage and motivate their audience through written and verbal communication. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Get Heard podcast. I'm your host, Ian Roth. I have a very special episode for you today. My guest is Andy Wines, and this is a guy that I wanted to get on my show really ever since I had a show, and this dude is awesome. There are so many great nuggets of leadership knowledge in here, public speaking and communication knowledge, so I hope you enjoy this episode. I absolutely love this episode. It's my favorite so far, and maybe I say that after all my episodes, but absolutely my favorite so far. He's a lot of great stuff. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the show. How you doing, Andy? Thank you. Yeah, awesome. Uh, all good. Life is good, man. How's the weather up there? Uh, cold as hell, I'm assuming. Yeah, and like eight to twelve inches coming in the next twenty four hours. So uh, just legit. Yeah, that sounds terrible. I would think you'd have snowblowers. Yeah. Oh yeah, snowblowers. Show. Yeah, it's just like part of what we do. It's like we're having a lawnmower. It's the it's the lawnmower of the winter season, I guess. Absolutely. So you've been speaking publicly and, you know, pretty much, I would say professionally for a little bit now. How did you get into doing that initially and kind of what sparked your interest in it? Uh, I, I do a lot of networking for my different businesses. And as I was going on networking, I realized there was a lot of uh, panels or keynote speakers. And more often than not, I thought, well, hey, I know just as much as that person up there. And sometimes I felt like I knew more. And so I just started volunteering at networking events and really big with the Wisconsin Veterans Chamber of Commerce and asked them for opportunities. Um, if there's other topics that I thought I could contribute on and the more I spoke, the more people listened to me. And like anything else in life, I'm a big fan of just going out and doing the thing. You know, I'm not one that's going to sit there and rehearse and practice. I just went out and did it. And you, or for me at least, I just found my own voice in due time. When you started out, was there a common theme that you were speaking about at first, kind of before you branched out into the different topics that you talk about now? No, I mean, I, I, at first I was talking about my business and then entrepreneurship was pretty obvious and natural. I'm a fourth generation entrepreneur. It's what's what I know is what I love. And I I've spent time talking to veterans because I'm kind of the token vet at a lot of networking events. So sometimes it was veterans. You know, I love talking about the environment um, and what we do with our organizations, but that's more selective audiences or when people come to our facility and I show them all the recycling and recovery efforts we have. So, I mean, those are my three main topics because that's what I know and that's what I, I love talking about. I know just from checking you out online that you're very big about, you know, environmental, you know, preservation and all that good stuff. What just, I'm curious, what got you into that field initially? My family are, I grew up, a household where we didn't have a whole lot of money, but we knew how to be scrappy, literally and figuratively. Um, grew up, spent my weekends um, digging in scrapyards and going to landfills and learning all about precious metals. Um, one of my favorite things to do with my dad growing up was driving through their nice neighborhoods on trash day and digging in the trash. And not like we were at a point of being so poor we had to dig through trash to get food, but we'd dig through trash for precious metals and toys and different things and learned to start taking apart lock sets and faucets. And I just loved finding value in things that other people discarded. At what point did you kind of take that interest and then what turned into a passion? At what point did you think that there was a, a business opportunity there and then it put your, your mind in gear for that? 
Um, I, I'd always done side hustles and side jobs and side work. Um, and then, uh, defining day, you know, we don't really get to define those or you don't get to choose your defining days in your life. But December 23rd of 2008, I got laid off from my father's company and I had to figure it out. And I took my background, I had done side jobs and whatnot, but I'd taken my background of scrapping and doing side jobs and said, okay, well, I don't have a job. I'd come back from a deployment the year before I had a crappy resume. No one was hiring me. And I had a mortgage. I just buzzed out. I was like four months before that. So I had all those things going against me, but I had to hustle. So I started driving through alleys, picking up scrap. Um, I was fortunate enough to have my father's company and a couple of other companies that would give me their scrap. And then I would process it and extract the precious metals. And that was 2008. And so that's whatever, 10, 10, 11 years later, we've, we've built into a uh, nice, healthy, and successful business. Would you say that those roots of starting that way and and your business starting that way play a lot into your leadership style and leadership characteristics oh absolutely i mean that's it i mean there's not a job that we send our guys on that my brother and i haven't done ourselves and if we haven't done it i want to be there i want to see what's going on i'm I'm interested to learn how to do it we had a project a couple weeks ago um, i bid as a chimney removal i've done probably 30, 40, maybe 50 chimney removals in my life, maybe maybe more. I, I did them for years when I was a remodeler. And we sent three guys on the job, and two of them didn't like heights. And the other guy had only done one chimney with us before. So when I bid the job, I bid it thinking, okay, I'm going to set these guys up. I'm going to get the right tools and equipment. I'm going to give them distance and direction. They're going to go and execute. And the day before they did the job, they were calling me. They're like, hey, how do we do this? And they had a lot more questions than I had answers to explain over the phone. I was like, all right, cool, block my schedule off. I'll go there and I'll go do the job. And then you use that as an opportunity for meaningful learning to occur. And I'm, I'm one of those, you know, I'm a kinesthetic learner. I learn um, by doing. So for me to go there and have the guys be there and watch what I was doing and then explain what I'm doing and then get hands on, uh, I like teaching in that manner also. But as a leader, that's what we have to do. I think one of the best things we have in the military is the fact that everybody goes through basic. Everybody um, is at the bottom and works their way up. So they understand the tactical competencies. You don't just start off as an NTO or start off as an officer or a company commander with all this power. You know, everyone has to go through a similar progression where we're all there, you know, entry level at some point. And that's how I lead. I lead from the, the ground up, you know, servitude. So leadership. I think you just read my mind. I was going to say what you're talking about sounds exactly like servant leadership, which I think is not only preached in the military, but I think in the civilian sector, it's maybe not thought of as much, but I think it's still absolutely as powerful. And I, I think that's great what you're doing. And yeah, servant leadership, anything else you want to expand upon that? Yeah, I mean, in my TEDx, I talk about that. I, I talk about the seven army values. And of these seven army values, the one that we can bring out to the civilian world is selfless service, right? Place of welfare of the, na- or, you know, the nation, the army, and your subordinates before your own. And that is the one thing that transfers from the military to your civilian career to your your life outside work. It's the one thing that's always repeatable. And and I think you're never wrong for doing it, right? There's there's a huge issue in the um, civilian world, you know, lack of values, lack of morals and values are different. Maybe not lack of, but just different. But you're never wrong putting others first. And, and when you go that way and coming from the military, that, if we want to look at it from a business standpoint, that is a competitive advantage. If we bring that mindset like, hey, I'm going to work first, I'm going to give first, 
before I even ask to receive anything, you, you already have a leg up on anybody and everybody else in that organization that doesn't have that mindset. I could not have said that better. I mean, you're never wrong putting others first. I think that's going to be the title of this episode, quite honestly, Andy. That's a it's an awesome quote there, man. Were Did you grow up with a strong kind of servant leader example, or is it something that you saw in someone and just developed over time, or how, how did you come to that realization? Um, no, I, I wouldn't say that at all. I wouldn't say servant leader. When I look at I grew up in a non-military family. I had an uncle that was in Vietnam and never talked about it only until in the last 10, 15 years since I've been in has he opened up to me. But no, 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 I won't say leadership, but this is this is what I will say. I watched my parents. My mom, she volunteered any opportunity she had at church. She did all the plays. She did the rummage sales. She was always there at church. She was the woman that everybody knew in, in grade school that would come and serve. And then my dad would build stages and even, you know, members of the church, if they had issues with their houses, my dad was a remodeler. He'd be the one that be the handyman that would fix things at the houses. He would fix things at the church. And, and because of that, we were always a family that we would give, give, give. And it was that hard work, that work ethic. I remember, um, when we, we buried my grandparents, both my grandparents within about a two year period at both their eulogies, um, it was brought out that the greatest compliment you could give to my grandparents was that their kids were hardworking, right? They might not have been the best dressed. They might not have been the most well-spoken, but they were the hardest working family. And that came from my dad's side, and my mom's side was no different. Both my grandfathers are entrepreneurs. Um, all my aunts and uncles worked for the family business, whether it was the farm or my grandfather's dental practice. So we work hard. And, and when you work hard and you put others first, Servant leadership is a fancy way of saying working hard and put others first, right? It's what we know in the military, but I just grew up with it ingrained that's, in my life. That's awesome. That's great that you had such powerful servant role models. And, you know, it was your, it was your parents and grandparents. That's great. I don't think a lot of people have those role models in their life. So uh, you're very fortunate. I'm fortunate along the same lines. I had very hardworking parents that uh, kind of were in the service-based a uh, police officer and a principal, so very service-based service, service based occupations. But what would you tell someone who maybe didn't or doesn't have that kind of a person in their life where they can see someone who serves, but at the same time, they still want to be a leader? What advice would you give to that person to kind of get them on the servant leadership track? Go do the fucking thing, right? Like I, I'm a firm believer, and we all have our morals and values and beliefs and compasses, right? And how often throughout the day, throughout the week, do you recognize opportunity and you walk away from it, right? When you see someone struggling, do you offer support? When you see someone that clearly needs uh, um, a helping hand or needs your time and attention, do you just walk away? But go out, just do the thing. You can, you can go online and find anywhere and everywhere to volunteer 365 days a year. Go do the thing. And if you don't, that's fine. I'm not, not everyone's going to be a servant leader. Not everyone's an entrepreneur. Not everyone's going to be a veteran. But it, it is not difficult to serve others. It, it might not be easy, right? It might not be. It might not be hard. That's those are subjective terms. But it is simple. Put others first and do the thing. Act it out, and you'll find out whether you like it or not. I didn't start this business like, hey, I'm going to be philanthropic and put all these people before me and put them on my back and I'm going to lead them to the promised land. I said, no, I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out, haul junk and learn how to save the planet. And I'm going to 
trying to develop processes to eliminate the need for landfills. And then you kind of get a couple of employees and all of a sudden you train, coach, and mentor them and you go back to your basics of leadership of, you know what, I'm not going to send them into the fire until I made sure it was hot. You know, let me go first. If not me, who, if not now, when? And I live by that. I, That's outstanding, man. It's um, that simple. Again, like you said, it's not hard. You just have to have, you just have to do it. You have to put others first. And I understand, you know, there's a little bit of, sometimes there, there's fear behind people doing something new and jumping in and helping. But I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen, you know? Well, get over it. Like, who cares? Okay. Yeah, we, I, we had a jam session the other day. Um, with these guys, we're, we're part of this group you call Young Guns, and we had a jam session the other day all about fear, because that is what prevents so many people from moving forward. Right. Well, what are you going to be afraid of? Failure? Fuck, go fail. You, uh, you, and then, like, I learned more through failure than I do through success. When people are like, "Why were you?" or "How were you successful?" I, I don't know. Some things worked out, but if you said, "Hey, what, what are some lessons you learned?" Well, I'm going to I'm going to teach you lessons and stuff I failed on. So. Go, what, what, what are you, you going to do? Lose time? You got 1,440 minutes a day. I guarantee you there's an hour a day that you already waste. I waste an hour a day on Facebook and doing dumb shit, right? Go give it an hour. If you don't like it, so what? But you, you know what? When you go and do those things for the first time, it is weird. It is vul- It is uncomfortable. You might be vulnerable, but then you're going to smile every now and then and look back and be like, man, that was really good. I, I did something out of my comfort zone. I learned a little bit about myself. I met other people that were like-hearted as me. And that's the good stuff in life. You can't buy that feeling, that serotonin, that whatever chemicals release when you know you're doing the righteous work. Yeah, absolute worst case scenario. You fail, you learn something, you move on, and you get over it. You just figured out a way to not do what you're trying to do. So ultimately, it's really a win-win situation. You're becoming a better person, you're helping someone or trying to help someone in the process. And yeah, just, I totally agree. Moving on to, you mentioned the TEDx speech that you did. So kind of in the, what I really wanted to pick your brain about is for the other public speakers listening to this and what was the planning process and what were some of the steps that you took in designing and crafting your speech and then up to the delivery of your speech? Where did the idea come from, and then how did you go about developing it? Yeah, so um, the idea was I wanted to talk about veterans, um, and moreover, talking about soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines, service members, transforming into veterans. And there's a there's a, um, a story I heard years ago about a veteran falling in a hole. And I read that story. I resonated with that story. That story really supported me and helped me when I needed it. And um, I, I used that as the base for um, kind of articulating what I was going through at the time. And I, I went with the story, and I, I used that story to say, okay, where, where was I in my life in that time? And, and then I, I built um, the TEDx. I built this, the, the entire speech about understanding that um, civilians – don't understand veterans because when I was first practicing and when I was first auditioning, I had only really talked about this veteran, the soldier, the whole story. I only talked about it in front of veteran audiences in the past. And this is the first time I was going to talk about this story in front of a civilian audience and tell my story along the way. So how do I marry those two things? So I started with that. I started with my story and I said, okay, this is my story. And I, I laid it out. And then I went back to that, that's, um, that fable, that story about a veteran whole, and thought about how did my story relate to this story? 
And I pieced the two of those together. And then along the way, I added more and more um, real life examples. At one point, it was 30 minutes long. And, and, and then you, you got to say, okay, I only got to be 18 minutes, which means really like 15 minutes because you're going to end up going on tangents and you want to make sure you have a buffer there. And for me, I wrote it in chunks. I, I just would write stuff when I feel um, inspired. I got the, There's an app called Otter. I hit the record button. I just start rapping, start jamming, start talking. And it records my audio and also dictates it in, in text. And then from there, I put it all together, like writing a paper. And, and then I would practice it. I, I normally practice it when I'm driving because that's when I'm feeling it. I'm thinking about it. And you try it all out. Um, I was shooting a TV show the two weeks before my TEDx, which was great because I was stuck in a hotel room at night by myself in the middle of kind of nowhere. And so every night I had the opportunity to say it out loud and speak it out loud and really think about how I felt about all the things I was saying. As a speaker, every time I say something, it gives me the opportunity to say it, to hear it, and to analyze it one more time to think, do I really truly believe this? And so there were some things I did tactically that are different than other people, um, but I, I found they work for me. And now when I write more speeches and different speeches, I use that same methodology. When I'm inspired, I write it down or I dictate it, and, and then I go from there. And then I put it all together one piece at a time. I don't I can't sit down and say, okay, I'm going to talk for 45 minutes straight. Like, that's just not, that's just not going to happen for me. Some people can do it. What I, app I did you say that was again? Um, Otter. Uh, it's like O-T-T-E-R, I believe. I'm going to pull it up right now because I use it all the time. And I use that. I, I learned that from another, when I was going through the, the TEDx process. It's a great process TEDx has um, because you, for us, at least we auditioned and then we got accepted. Once you got accepted, you get a coach. And then you, you work with your coach and then you go to some workshops and they work with you there. And so I did all those processes and I really dedicated myself to it. And I found out through the process about this Otter app. And um, I learned a lot. You know, I, with TEDx, I auditioned in like April, found out in June I was, I made it. July, we had a, I think July, we had a workshop. July, we had a workshop. August, we had a, uh, I think another workshop. And then, an interview, there was an interview at one point and then it was October before I gave it. So it was four months, five months where it was kind of on the back of my mind. But the week leading up into it, I, that's when I really hammered it. Um, I only practiced the speech twice or really twice. I should say, I only gave the speech from front to back two times. Once, uh, when I was backstage and once on stage, the only two times I ever did it from front to back, um, in its entirety, the way that it was presented, I had done it hundred times chunks or the long version or a short version or a piece here or there, but the actual version, uh, I only did two times, which was for me good because it was fresh and I felt alive when I gave it. It didn't feel for me, at least it didn't feel like I knew it. And there was stuff in there I missed. Certainly, you know, there was pieces I missed. There was a couple of pieces I went out of order, but no one knows that but me. Right. We're the worst critic of ourselves. I mean, only we know that we made those mistakes or those subconscious things that we maybe missed or forgot to say. Nobody else. The other day, us. I did the thing, right? I, I, I had it in my head that hey, I want a big uh, speaking performance. I want to be in, TED, uh, in TEDx. It was a goal of mine. I, I wrote it down. I executed the steps, and I got up there and and I and I delivered something that I was proud of. And and I hate to feel selfish, but I was proud of it. And I afterwards, I walked off the stage and I felt calm and at peace more than I had been in years because I, I, I really owned my pain trans 
transformed it into my passion to define my purpose. That, that was my speech. And I did that. I lived that in that moment. That's awesome. I'm, I'm just curious, what were some of the things that you found about yourself and your speaking when you had the coach assigned to you? Like, what were some of the things you had to improve upon or maybe some things you didn't realize you were doing when you were speaking? I'm just yeah, curious I, to hear I, about it. I, a couple of things, just body language, you know, um, and you can't go, you can't go full hua for 15 minutes. I'm, I'm, I'm six, four, I'm loud. I, I, I got a big wingspan. Right. And like, as I was giving it and I'm getting some feedback, I also went to a military influencers conference earlier this year and I actually did a portion of my TEDx speech in a bar in front of about eight, 10 vets, including one that had done a few TEDx talks. And uh, I got consistent feedback that I kept clenching my fists. Whenever I got passionate, I would clench my fists. And then I would just like clench them and then just get even more angry. I was just so passionate about what I was saying. But but then it doesn't give time to relax, right? Like think about a good song. It's not like seven minute guitar solo. Right, you gotta you gotta have verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, you right. know, solo, chorus. Right, there there has to be a rhythm. And so, what I found out is I have to be intentional. So, with my TEDx, you know, it's a seven foot circle. It's only seven foot in diameter. That's that's two steps for me. Um, so for me, it was how do I use? You have to stay in the circle too, right? How do I use the whole circle, contain my energy to a certain degree, but give it, um, give it due at different points, and that's what I did. And, that's what I learned. It, it's um, not choreographed, but it's intentional, a little bit different, right? You know, at certain points, you got to start to do things, step back, and um, you're also feeding off the audience. It's it's tough when you're on a stage with big lights, when you're, you're in a like an amphitheater or anything where you can't see the audience. It's it's tough for me, at least, because so much of what I do, I'm reacting to the audience. If I feel like they're a little more comical, they're going to laugh, I'll throw a couple jokes in there. If I think it's a very serious audience, I'll make sure I go down that road. Um, I've given speeches. I did, gave a speech a couple um, weeks ago in front of a veteran audience, um, right after uh, Veterans Day, and, and veterans audience at a senior living facility. Well, I'm not swearing. I'm talking slow. I'm, I'm you know, paying due respect to the, the members of the audience. Right? It was in a church. Right? So all these things that I am at times, I have to modify for the audience, and so. A case like TEDx is you got to get up there and you got to own it and you might not get the audience feedback and you got to just be confident in what you're saying is worthy of the audience's time because, because it might be your, or it is your time, right? It's my 15 minutes, but it's also every single person that was in the audience. It was also their 15 minutes that they were giving me. And so as a speaker, I have an obligation to give them my best. That's awesome. You said there was a seven foot circle that you had to stay inside. Is it drawn out on the floor? Oh, it's the carpet. It oh, it's no, no, it's the carpet. Yeah, the red, the red, the red dot, the red carpet of TEDx. That's the the coveted carpet. And you're not allowed to go outside of it or go off of it when Correct. you're speaking. No kidding. So with such a little space, I'm just trying to think. When I'm in front of people, I if it's a big group, I like to walk around. So I can make eye contact with people, everybody can hear me, engage with them, things like that. So how, what are some things that you did being a big guy, six foot four, to not stand still like a statue, but have some movement and move around a little bit? How'd you handle well, that? I mean, you, you don't, you don't, you know, you can move left, you can move right, you can move forward, you can move back, right? And you could also be, you could also make a step without making a step. You kind of, right, kick your foot forward, but only then bring it back so you only move six inches. 
Um, but no, I mean, that's it. I, I, I work the whole stage typically. And then that's it. I mean, just understanding the limitations, understanding um, the objective. The objective of the TEDx circle, the TED circle, is the fact that when you are up there on stage, you are talking about a singular um, idea. And so it, it forces you to uh, it, it forces you to um, hone in on what you're doing and be very intentional. So for me, the circle represents the purpose of the speech, to have a single idea and own it. So if I'm on a big-ass stage, right, and there's a, in a big room, those seven feet, those seven, that seven foot of diameter, that's my area of operation. That's all I got. And, and, and if I got to be all over the stage, the theatrics, you know, waving the arms and what have you, well, I'm not being very focused. I'm not being very centralized. And that's the point of it. And for me also, it calms me down. I got pretty high energy normally. And now knowing I have to stand here in the circle, I'm like, okay, let me own this moment. I don't need more than this, these seven feet to work with. And so again, daunting at first. Once I got up there, the nerves are rocking and rolling, but that's just energy, baby. You just use that energy and you let it all out. Did you memorize the speech like word for word? How did you practice? Oh, absolutely not. No, right. No. I mean, but like, no chunks. Yeah, no. So no, I, I just memorized. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't much to memorize. It's my life. Right. It was, exactly. it was being poignant about That's it. So it was being, being poignant about my life. It was being poignant about going through the struggles of life, transforming that pain, that struggle into my passion to define my purpose. And I say those three things so poignant because that wasn't my speech at first. My speech was veterans transitioning, right? Learning how to get out of the hole. Well, what the fuck does that mean? Right. But I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have any of the other stuff until I thought about, well, what am I talking about? Why is this relevant? Who cares? And after I did that, I, I came up with that line about transforming your pain into passion to find your purpose. And I'm very poignant, or another P word there, about things I say. And I, I use words and repetitive styles like that, always in threes, because that's how I learn. That's how I remember. And so that's how I train, coach, and mentor, it, it, breaking things down in threes. Um, and that was it. And then, and then understanding you know, how, how the speech could go. I even wrote, when I even wrote the speech, I wrote it in Act 1, Act 2, Act 3. That's it, right? And like a play, and I don't know nothing about theater, but when you're up on stage and everyone's watching you, you got to give them a story that makes sense. They got to be able to follow it. But it also has to be so unique to you that you're the only one that can give that story because it's yours. So how do you frame 12 years of your life post-Iraq in, in 15 minutes? You got to be intentional. Can't memorize it. Certainly, I wasn't memorized. Certainly, I wasn't so well rehearsed that it was flawless. By no means, I, I made up a few words. I think even in there, I think I said self, like um, selfless, servicely, or something like that. And I'm like, I know that's a word. Um, serve selflessly. I think that's what I said. Something like that, right? But I didn't memorize that. No, I, I have my ideas, you know. And, and, and hell, uh, I brought my battle buddies. That's a fact. In my original version of my speech, I talk about three different battle buddies that. Uh, impacted me during two trans transformations from um, two deployments. And the the three guys I talked about, uh, three of the four guys I talked about in my speech are in, on, in, are in the audience that day. Wow. And knowing they were in the audience, uh, it was, it was like they were on stage with me. I, I, they had my back. It was that simple. And you know, it's that old adage, right? You want to go fast, go alone. You want to go far, take others. 
And these are the same cats. They came from all over the Midwest just to hear me talk for 15 minutes and they had my back. So that's something in the military we don't think about, right? In the civilian world, how often do you go take on your demons and your dragons alone? In the military, right? We don't go anywhere alone. Right. So that has to be comforting having your battle buddies in the audience, especially if they were there with you during the time of, you know, the stories that you're telling. I, I can only imagine that was extremely comforting actually. Yeah. You know, the, the night before um, we went out and had dinner, um, they went and painted the town and I went, <laughs> I went to bed early, obviously. And uh, you know, it wasn't nothing, right. It wasn't, there was no pep talk. It wasn't like they were backstage. You know, they, you know, and then they're my battle buddies. They're like, Hey, don't shit the bed. And I'm like, yeah, I got this. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're like, basically the rule was the night before my mom, my mom's known them since we got back from Iraq. My mom's like, don't let them get drunk. And they're like, all right. And then they're like, actually, no, you probably shouldn't get hammered tonight. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not <laughs> going to. Right. And they're, they're my army buddies, right? Like our intentions is just to not stay, stay, uh, you know, out of trouble. We, we go out of our way to find trouble, but, um, no, but knowing they were there in the audience, and then after the speech, you know, I, I got done and I took off, I was, I walked off the stage and I went to go take off my headset and the, the, the woman that was doing the audio just looked at me and she spent time in Afghanistan as a civilian, DOD civilian training troops. Uh, and so she has some recollection and some understanding of what it felt like to come back home. And she just looked at me and she said, what you said needed to be said. And I said, I, 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 I yeah, I, I needed to say it. I needed to own all that I had gone through at that point. And when I got off stage, um, I, I went back to the backstage. I went up to the front lobby and um, our operations guy who was there, he, he came out, he kind of didn't have to tell him to come find me, but he knew to come find me. And first thing he said was like, you know, my mom and dad are in the audience, my brother and about half a dozen of our employees. And he's like, Hey, that was fucking awesome. That was rad. He's like, uh, so now what? I was like, where, where are my army buddies at? Right. And he, he, walked me up to where they were because the next speaker was already up there and I just went went to him right away. And also, I, I chose my army buddies at that moment over my mom and my dad and my brother, our employees, because that that's the heart and soul, right? I mean, I <clears throat> um, we all have. We all chose at some point to join the military and then you get assigned these people and you have no idea how they're going to impact your life. And uh, I, you know, I, 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 I couldn't feel better or more blessed that um, these guys came in my life because in the real world, I wouldn't be friends with them. They're a bunch of assholes, but there's right. Like, but I love them. And that's the shit in the military that you, you won't find in the civilian world. You just, it's just not there. It's not, not even close, you know, for, for the audience, you know, of veterans and currently serving members that are listening. Like you're, you're not going to get that shit back. So appreciate it while you got it and, and hold on like hell when you get back home to stay in, in line and in touch with those guys and girls. Referring to your, your TEDx speech, you kept telling, you kept using the word story. How important is it when giving a speech that you're telling a story in some way, shape or form? You have to. I mean, people remember the way they feel about you. Not about your product, your service, how you, not even your name or your company, right? People remember how they feel. Um, and there, I just was watching a video two days ago, maybe it was yesterday, about why humans tell stories. That's why oral stories live and oral tradition lives. You know, unlike a joke that, that has a little bit of a story and a punchline, right? Jokes you forget often because it's the punchline 
that tells the whole thing. But with a story, there's the buildup. There's the um, you, people imagine themselves in that story, right? They can imagine you going through it. And it allows you to relive that moment, right? And allows you to relive those emotions. Watered down, absolutely, but relive them. And people can relate to that. If you're going to go up and just pitch or go talk about yourself or just rattle off, you know, your degrees and the places you've been and the things, you know, you've done without a story behind it, no one's going to remember it. You know, that's one thing I think is interesting in the military. And one thing I don't like, and it happens in the civilian world too, like they'll introduce the speaker, right? Um, like if you are, you know, you're what, you're a, a camp, uh, captain, company commander, what are you right, right now? In the, in the All right. So like uh, Captain Ian Roth, who was formerly the, you know, second platoon pl- platoon leader of Alpha Company, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he graduated from this university, graduated in OCS. And it's like you're three minutes into it and all you've done is hear this guy's resume. Right? Who gives a shit? Yeah. I don't give and a the, shit. The oh, eyes glaze like, over in right? the audience and people start not paying gotcha. attention. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what? We're all fucking looking at your rack. Right? We're all, all right, cool. He's got 15, 15 racks, you know, combat patch, maybe a couple, couple lickies and chewies. He's good to hook. Got it. Done. D-U-N. That's it, right? We're not going to – but when you go up there and say, hey, this is how I got where I'm at today. And you don't have to tell the whole life story. It ain't going to be 15 years and 15 minutes. But tell one damn good story that was that defining moment in your life. That people will remember to or remember about. That they'll relate back to. Like, oh, yeah, Ian guy, this is what he went through. And, and that one story matters. And, and you, know, you know, whatever it is you're doing, stories matter. Yeah, stories matter. The, the power of storytelling is, I think, what takes maybe a good speaker to like the next level of great and excellent. I mean, the ability to tell that story, have people listening and engaged. And like you said, just tell a story with a good beginning, a good middle, and then a killer end to, to keep them hooked and, and walk away with something. I, you know, I, I wouldn't even say a good speaker. I don't, I don't think you say it's a difference between a good speaker and a great speaker. I think it's the ante, right? You, you, you gotta be able to tell a story. Uh, I grew up uh, in the church. I'm not active now, but I grew up in the church. And when I thought about it, we had a really good priest early on in, when I was growing up and his name is father, Tony. And he was, he was a damn good priest, not because you could do the stand up, sit down, kneel. Anyone could do that. Because he can give a damn good sermon, and he can say, "Hey, this is how the gospel relates to real life." And let me tell you a little story about something that happened to me in my life. It got you hook, line, and sinker. If you have someone that goes up and doesn't storytell, right? Well, what are they doing? Are they talking about their product or their service or themselves? Because if they are, they're just selling. That's not a good speaker. It's a good salesperson standing in front of people. That's all that is. The difference between a good storyteller. Right, and a good speaker, maybe a great speaker, and I'm just taking a shot here. Don't don't take this as fucking gospel. But I would think the defining moment, or the define the definition between the two is the great speakers can get everybody to walk in their shoes for those moments. When I think about Gary Vee or Simon Sinek or Les Brown, the, the people I look up to, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, right? They can tell stories in such a way, such a simple way that everybody else can relate to them. That's what's interesting. You take a guy like Warren Buffett, right? Like his first his first rule of investing is don't lose money, right? That's fucking interesting. Here's a guy that's made billions of dollars investing, but yet he can break it down to simple things, right? And invest in legacy companies, invest in companies that have proven track record over decades, 
I'll sit and listen to Warren Buffett all day tell stories because he lived it and it's simple digest and it's repeatable for others. That I think is the definition between a good storyteller or a good speaker and a great speaker. Nicely said, man. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I, I do agree with you. Not thinking back on it. You really can't be a good speaker without telling a story because it turns into salesy or just kind of terrible content. Yeah, yeah exactly. You're not a speaker. You're not a speaker. And not even a speaker, but that's content creators, right? Go go get on LinkedIn or Facebook and listen to what people are talking about, right? The stuff that you're sucked into, they're telling, they're telling a story in some way, shape, or form. If it's just a person, right? Let's not talk about like product videos and tutorials, but if it's a person speaking, right? What are they doing? Are they telling a story? Think about it, you know, hey, hey, the other day this happened to me. All right, well, what happened to you? And now you're, now you're listening. But if you just start with, this is the greatest thing since, no, no you're not telling a story. You're, you're now telling me how I should feel or think. You're not being open and honest and vulnerable. And that's the beautiful thing about storytelling. More often than not, you're talking about a moment of struggle in your life. And that's the good stuff because everyone can relate to that. The more vulnerable you are, the more the audience is going to realize that and get ingrained and, and enjoy what you got to say because you're, you're not like, I am humble. No, you're, you're letting us know you're humble in the, the, the longer way around it. I think the audience wants to making the audience able to relate to you is I think what we're getting at here of telling the story. That's what really builds that powerful bond and makes you extremely effective as a speaker. And the, and the people that are killing it on LinkedIn right now tell stories. And the people that are really killing it on LinkedIn are the ones that are telling stories and have figured out a way to tell other people's stories because they're giving their time and talents and not just saying, Oh, look at me and all the shit I've been through. No, they're saying, Hey, everyone's got a story to tell. Let me bring that to life. Those are the people that are moving and shaking and baking on in the speaker world, in the LinkedIn social media world. Spot on. Last question. If you could give one or two pieces of advice to someone who's maybe an aspiring TEDx speaker or wants to go down that road eventually, what would you say to them and, and why? Do the fucking thing. Go, go speak in front of two people. And figure out if you want to do it. If your goal, if you're like, hey, I'm going to go do TEDx, great. That's not the starting point, right? That's stage like 57 out of 1,000, right? But it ain't one or two. If you've done a few of those things and you still you want to do TEDx, go to other TEDx's. Start networking with people at TEDx. Um, look into how to apply at a, a closer local TEDx. I was very fortunate that there's a TEDx um, that I spoke at, TEDx Oshkosh. is about an hour and a half away from me. And they had, a, they had auditions, which is very rare for TEDx. And so I went up to the audition and I was there. There was 40 people, 50 people. I walk into my, my BDU camo pants. They all look at me like I'm nuts. And I go up there and I give them my best four minutes. And had that were, had that been where the, the journey ended and I never got to the next stage, the um, interview stage, well, that's fine. I went and did the fucking thing. So for anybody, I don't care. This isn't even TEDx. Like, fine, TEDx, there's a logical stepping path. There's... There's videos out there to how to define and refine your speech. But the advice I have for anybody in life is go out and do the thing. If you're not willing to do it for free or even willing to do it and pay money, right? Look at you and me. It's almost 8 o'clock on a Friday night. We're doing a podcast that maybe no one will listen to. But we're doing the thing because we're practicing our craft. We're doing it. We're not talking about it. We're not thinking about it. We're not trying it. We're doing it. So whatever it is in life, go out and do the thing. Stop talking, start doing. 
Stop talking, start doing. Absolutely, yeah. I, unless, unless it's a podcast, in that case, talking is the thing. Yeah, yeah, right. But you, you, <laughs> that, that is, that the is doing, the doing, right? and yeah, the same thing. But you got to be intentional about it. And I'd rather, I'd rather be sitting and watching Netflix yep. right now, quite honestly. But I have a passion for this, and I want to be successful at this, so I'm doing it. Absolutely, like you said, man. The uh, so when you and I were speaking earlier, you mentioned the Young Guns event. Can you tell everybody what that's about? Yeah, absolutely. Young Guns. Uh, where a couple of uh, entrepreneurs and I got together and this, this is the case in point was uh, um, keynote speaking. We said, we all want to do more keynote speaking and we were applying for speaking gigs and we were going out there and networking. And then we thought, you know what, instead of trying to fight our way onto the stage, instead of trying to um, convince other people to let us on the stage, why don't we just build our own fucking stage? And so that's what we did over the last six months. We developed and built um, an event here in Milwaukee. It's going to be, um, the first of its kind of Milwaukee because we're only doing speaking. That's it. Keynote speaking focused around entrepreneurship. And there's tons of other events out there. Um, but this one is something that we have never seen here in uh, in Milwaukee. And we're bringing it to Milwaukee. So we're excited about that. It's going to develop into something. We had a couple of ideas and those will be announced day out. But it's a kickoff event. It's not just a one-off event. It's an opportunity for those individuals that want to use their influence, want to use storytelling. To have a greater impact on the world is an opportunity for them to come together, learn from each other, and network. And that's how we're building it. I can look back and say, well, I wish this would have been available when I was doing X, Y, Z. No, I'm working with others to help uh, create it so we can all benefit from it and develop and build a community. Awesome. And where can people go to check out what's going on up there? So younggunsevent.com. But we're all over LinkedIn uh, with it. On Facebook, um, and after the event, we will have the videos uh, available. If you're in the Milwaukee area, Madison, Chicago, February 27th is the day of the event. Come out. It's a full day. Five keynote speakers, three of them TEDx speakers, plus a Vision 2020 panel. We got some of the top entrepreneurs in the area coming out to talk about what it was life, what it was like building their business pre-social media, and what does it look like now in a post-social media world? How do they stay relevant? And so a full day event, um, I'm, I'm stoked. I'm, I'm just as excited to give a speech and a talk as I am to hear the other speakers that day. Awesome. So younggunsevent.com. Andy, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on here. Thank you so much for hopping on the show. Any, any last bit of advice or wisdom to put out to everybody before we get off here? Go do the thing. That's right. Go do the thing. Absolutely. Go do the thing. Andy, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. It's been a long time coming. Greatly appreciate it. Appreciate it, sir. Thank you. Hope you liked that episode. Thank you so much for checking out the Get Heard podcast. If you like what you're listening to, please share it with a friend. I'm really trying to grow this podcast and anything that you can do to spread the good word of what I'm trying to do here, I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. So thank you in advance for doing that. I greatly appreciate it. If you haven't subscribed yet, please hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast listening platform. And if you're more interested in what I'm doing, hop online and find me at getheardpodcast.com or reach out to me via email at ian at getheardpodcast.com. Again, thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.